Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, once again an absolute privilege to be here. Um, how many of you have heard me talk on manifesting sonship? Okay, I want to show of hands. How many of you believe that what you've heard in the last four weeks has changed your perspective on your own revelation of who you are in Christ and who you are as a son? Can I see your hands? Okay, good. At least a 10% success rate. Hey, not too bad. Okay, so um, I do believe that this message impacts people a lot more than what they realize at the time. And the reason is because... All of creation is literally waiting for you. Now talk about procrastination. Amen? All of, all of earth, all of, the, all of everything in creation, even the angels who are part of creation, are all anticipating you coming to a realization that you are who God has created you to be. You see, because being a son is established as a position, but it's worked out in an experience. In other words, what I'm saying is, if there's never a change in your lifestyle, then there was never a change in your thinking. You see, I don't need to know what your thoughts are. I can just look in your life, and see what fruit is growing. If you are prone to being afraid of situations and circumstances in your life, then it proves to me that you, as a person, have not got the confidence you need in God to protect you in those areas. That's not an indictment. It's not a condemnation. It's just a factual realization of where you are right now. Isn't that right? And we all want to go beyond that, don't they? We want, to, we want to be fearless. We want to be conquerors. We want to be victorious. We spoke about it this morning in the first service about victoriousness, being, um, uh, living a life of victory. But if you don't realize that that victory is yours, then you'll be like the children of Israel who are told, hey, look, there's the promised land. It's all yours. Go take it. And then you come back and you say, but God, didn't you see how big those giants were? But it's a land of milk and honey where the grapes are the size of watermelons and the bees are the size of bees. Isn't that right? And the reality is that the blessings are there, but the giants are big. And this is the battle you face in your mind, in your psyche all the time. The battle they faced, based on what they saw and experienced, is the battle you face whenever you take on an old way of thinking that is currently limiting you from walking in who you really are. Because limiting beliefs have the power to refuse you access to all that heaven 
has got available. If it wasn't true, you'd all be walking in the fullness of Christ right now. But people like myself and many of you in this room have been given a certain amount of grace in order to help others grow in certain areas so that their identity can come to the full front of who they are in Christ. Does it make sense? Now, that means that when you were born again, by the way, when you got born again, just how much of who you are as a Christian did you know? Not much, eh? You see, it's this thing that we really need to think about because we think often, because God is so big and miraculous, that we're going to change in an instant. But how many of you have discovered that this change thing is a bit of a journey? <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? You just think you got to the top of the hill and you're like, oh my goodness, there's like another hill to climb here. Isn't that right? And sometimes, even if you take the position that God has already put you on a hill, you still have to keep it. Because how many of you know we have a real enemy who is really determined to discourage you? He's determined to discourage the whole world. He wants the world to believe that what Jesus did didn't matter. He wants the world to believe that the victory on the cross didn't happen. Because if we discover just how victorious we are, we might just take him to task and take him out. But as long as we allow him to keep us in this lull, in a sleep where we passive-aggressive and we kind of doing a little bit here and not as much as we should there, guess what happens? You allow, with your authority, the enemy to get away with everything. You are, all of you. Because you are the ecclesia. You know what the, are you part of the ecclesia? I just need a unanimously, I want to know I'm talking to governing people. Are you the ecclesia? Right, if you are the ecclesia, then that means that you are the called out ones that have been called out for a purpose. The purpose is to hear the heart of the Father and to implement His will on the earth. See, you're the hands and feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. You see, Jesus modeled sonship better than anyone because I guess He was the Son of God. And He was a prophet, a priest, a king and a Nazarite. Before he was born, his mission was already predetermined. That's what Nazarites were. He was a prophet because he came announcing that he would return. Isn't that right? Did he not announce that he would return? Did he not announce what would happen in the last days? Did he not announce these things? So Jesus prophesied. I know. Go with the flow, guys. Jesus is king. So, so think about this. Jesus was a prophet. He was a priest. Because why? He came to make things right between us and dad. And he was a king because he came to execute justice against injustice and bring unrighteousness into judgment. You see, 
Whatever, everything Jesus modeled was everything he knew you were created to be. You see, you can't manifest something you don't know what it looks like. And so God gave us an example of what that looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus allowing a woman with the issue of blood to touch him and for no one to throw a stone at her, even though it was culturally unacceptable for someone unclean to touch anyone, not, especially not a rabbi. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. You understand the contradiction that that would have in Jewish society. But Jesus operated more according to the spirit of the law than he did according to the letter because it was the letter that killed, not the spirit. So as sons, we need to understand that we are not to be moved by the letter, but we'll be to moved by the spirit. So the letter gives you framework. The spirit gives you the guidance. Anyone learning anything? I know I am. <laughs> Hallelujah. Last week, I was talking about the same thing. And sonship has everything to do with the family business. And the reality is you've all been invited to be a part of it. So imagine if um, you were working in God's company, do you think he looks after those who work for him? Your, you know, the man who wrote, look, you know, pay your workers well, that guy, he's the guy you're working for. <laughs> Thought I'd mention it. God, you know, the way we treat God sometimes is like he's the, you know, he's a Jew boy trying to pinch every penny. Hey, it's, it's a stereotype, but it's real. God, you ought to laugh at me. So the greatest need in the world, oh, she, my wife loves me. And I love her. And that's a good thing, isn't it? My God, she even laughed at my joke. Right, so the greatest need in the world today is the manifestation of the sons of God. The world isn't in need of a better governing system. It's in need of those who should be governing to start governing. Jesus, listen, the Bible, this thing here, isn't a book that introduces you to a new religion. This is a story about a king, his kingdom, and you, a royal family. Now, how many of you uh, grew up in a kingdom? You better not put up your hand. Just a hint. Uh, kingdoms are not democracies. You see, in order to understand kingdom, you have to understand kingship. Do you know that uh, kings are not voted in? You have no say. When a king makes a decree, no one gets to vote against it. <laughs> so the best thing about kings are, if your king is God, there's no problem with him. But the biggest problem with kings in the world has been that human beings were corrupted. And so you'd have good kings and you'd have bad kings. But God has always destined us to be good kings. Now what happens in a kingdom is this. Let me, let me explain something about kingdom. Kingdom is where a king 
gets his glory out of how well his citizens are doing. If someone comes and visits your kingdom, like say an emissary from some other kingdom, and your people are poor, the man will say, how is this king running this place? See, the current cronies wouldn't really be able to make it happen. The reality is in a kingdom, the king knows that his glory is determined by the well-being of his people. That means that the king who has dominion over that kingdom is making sure that it comes to its fullest expression. He's not trying to find a way to put more money in his pockets. He's trying to find a way to get people to be living a life that's more productive. So just the word ruler and king, even you know, um, any kind of leadership has, has really been under, I think, a lot of scrutiny in the last, I don't know, 50 or 60 years. How many of you would agree? People have been very anti-authoritarian. They, they don't believe that people should have that kind of authority, etc., etc. And I think that there have been good reasons for those reactions at times, but sometimes it's been a bit of an overreaction as well. Because the reality is that authority is not a bad thing when it is used properly. Authority is a bad thing when it is misused. Please understand the word misused means unused or used inappropriately. So that means that just because you're doing nothing doesn't mean that you're not misusing it. Did you hear me? You see, if God gives you power to change things and you don't change things, you're misusing your power. And this is something you need to hear, because if we want to manifest sonship, then we need to start bucking up and realizing that, yes, if His Spirit lives in me, then I'm able. Oh, hallelujah. I am what? Able. And if I am able, then I can respond. Which makes me response-able. Is that right? Able to respond. Hallelujah. Because God didn't leave me disabled. He left me, left me able to respond. And because he left me able to respond, I have a moral obligation to respond to those I call family. How many of you would watch your child drown and just let them sink? Not one. I don't think there's even an evil person who would want to do that. Maybe there might be, but for the most part, I, I don't want to believe that about people. And the reality is if we, even in a wicked and evil state, which we are not, but I'm talking about those that are, could make the right decision and respond with the ability that we've been given, then maybe the problem isn't with our hearts wanting to respond, but with our realization of what we are able to respond to. You see, if you don't know the authority you have, then you will relegate it to someone else. When you don't know that you have the authority to take authority over sickness and disease, that you have the authority to destroy the power of the enemy to weaken the human body, then you will stand back and you will relegate it to other people who are trying to find 
scientific means to do the thing that God has already provided for. The same in business, the same in psychology, the same in every part of the human need hierarchy. Every area that we don't execute right authority in, we relegate authority to something else. And how different is that to bowing our knee in the garden to the one who stole our identity, our access, and our dominion? You see, you can either allow the enemy to rob you in every area of your life, or you can say, enough is enough. Today I'm drawing a line. What God said about me is true. My history doesn't matter, and I'm going to start living like what he said is real. And that's what it means to believe. Because you are doing right now what you believe. Right now, you are doing what you believe. There is not a thing you're doing that you don't believe you can do. Which means that you can do more than what you're currently believing, which means you have to change what you're believing if you want to change what you're doing. Because you aren't a doing, you're a being. And only when you realize what kind of being you are, will you do. Okay, is this getting too deep? I mean, I'm just going to swim up to the top here and take a breath. Okay, so in 1 John 4, okay, it says this. How many of you have got Bibles here? In 1 John 4 verse 2, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Okay, so what does that, that make me believe? It makes me realize that even though God has deposited His love on the inside of me, in its actual outworking, it isn't yet perfect. Isn't that right? Because there would be need for no perfection if perfection had already been developed. So in order for us to look at this scripture, we must realize that there is a way in which we are perfected in love. That means it's a journey, isn't that right? Now you're going to hate this next part, some of you, and some of you are going to love it. But I love you all, okay? The, this part is, the way you get love perfected is by getting around people that annoy you. And loving the hell right out of them. Jesus said, love your enemies. He didn't say, love your friends. Everyone does that anyway. What, what, what is that to you? Be kind to those who persecute you. Not those who say everything nice about you. Yo, Mark, what are you preaching? The Bible. The Bible. You see, this is how we know that we abide in Him and He abides in us. Because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We all agree on that. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. The first step is believing the God in heaven that has loved you. 
How many of you believe you are loved? At least five, ten. Anyone else want to join this party? Richard, I thought you would believe. Okay, good, good. Okay, so you believe that God loves you. Okay, at what point did his, does his love run out? By the way, you act all the time. You cut someone off in the traffic, and you lose it. And then the devil has a field day for two days before you recover. Have you ever heard this statement? Be quick to repent. You know what that means? Quickly change your mind. It doesn't mean quickly start crying your eyes out and beating your chest and hoping that you'll find forgiveness. It says quickly change your mind. You're heading in the wrong direction. Quickly change your mind. Do you believe that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ? Are you sure? Because if you're sure that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, then condemnation should never stop you from taking action. But how many people in this room feel safe taking someone out of a wheelchair when you just had a fight? Or going to pray for someone to be raised from the dead when you just lost your temper? You see, I bring that up, and now your condemnation radar is going beep, 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 beep. Isn't that right? But what's the difference between if I tell my children, don't do this, and I tell my children, do this, are not both of these things, if they either do what I tell them not to, or don't do what I tell them to do, are they not both disobedient? So it's not about what you shall not do. It's also about what you should do. Why? It's more important for you to focus on who you are than it is to focus on who you're not. Okay, so watch this. Because before you jump into this idea that I'm preaching some kind of law, which I'm not, let me, let me, give you, let me just show you this. The Bible says that we should not continue in sin. Isn't that right? All right. So let's say, for example, I have a disagreement with someone, a fight with someone right here, and I disobey God, right? I treat them unfairly. And I walk along the road, and there's a guy here that needs prayer. Most people will, will disqualify themselves because they just had an argument. Isn't that right? So they will use their sin to perpetuate more sin. Because if they were on their way from this fight to that opportunity, and they were quick to repent, guess what would happen? They would take the opportunity. Because that would be fruits of repentance. Preaching better than you hearing me today. Hallelujah. Because, guys, what I'm talking about is heaven's culture. See, heaven's culture is not about finding reasons to uh, plot holes in someone's character. Heaven's culture is about finding ways to let Jesus shine. <laughs> it's about seeing the gold in the person next to you and doing everything you can, even if it costs you to bring that gold out, because it's not about you, it's about him. How many of you are in heaven right now? 
life. How many of you are in heaven right now? Okay, because the minute you got born again, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not be judged. For he has already passed from death to life. Isn't that right? That means that when you gave your life to Christ, by faith, you died with him. That means everything you ever wanted to do, everything you ever wanted to become, everything you thought was ever going to be good for you, died with you that day. And it ceased to be about my future, my life, my body, and it became his future, his life, and his body. See, we talk about getting behind the purposes of the Lord, but when we begin to actually put it into practical terms, people get nervous. And the reality is that the only reason you'd be nervous is if you didn't know that God loved you. Because is there anything that God would want for your future in Him that wouldn't be the ultimate future you could ever hope for? You see, you've got to fundamentally believe that your Father is good in order to fully submit to His will in your life. And we have to fully submit to His will in our lives if we want to manifest His character and His nature and His power. Because you can't get the God result without the God nature. What if the biggest thing that's been holding us back is that we've been living on gifts instead of operating out of fullness? I'm not saying gifts are bad. Don't misunderstand me. But the Corinthian church were not commended for being spiritual. They were commended for being babies, carnal. And why? Because there was jealousy, envy, and strife amongst them. And Paul said, while there are these things, it is evident that you are carnal, acting like mere humans, because you are not a mere human. You're a God-man and a God-woman. You have God living on the inside of you. if that's true, and he's speaking to the Corinthian church, and he's telling them, I can't speak to you like spiritual people. And then what? Twelve chapters later, he's saying, you come behind no one when it comes to spiritual gifts, which tells you that gifts don't need you to be spiritual. They're gifts. They're not earned. It needs you to be what? Available. And what if gifts are an invitation to a fuller walk? What if gifts are a taste of a greater power? Am I listening to me? What if the goal of gifts is to show you what is possible so you can go further? Because the fivefold ministry, we know they're all gifts too, are they not? And they are given to take you further, to grow you up in every way into Christ, so that you may look like Him in every part of your life. How many of you would like to have Jesus, the Jesus-type answer in every situation in your life? Well, guess what? Then you have to have the Jesus-type mind. You have to access the mind of Christ, and that's where the battle is. 
The battle is in renewing the mind and putting the new lifestyle of the kingdom into practice in your life. That is how we manifest sonship. Who's with me? Stand up. This morning, can we have some music playing? Heather, do you mind playing something? Oh, okay. That's fine. Don't worry. You can't mute without music a thousand times. It's all good. All right. I want you all to just close your eyes right now. And the first thing I want you to think about and receive is the love of the Father. Understand this. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave the most valuable thing he had. He gave you his most precious thing because he loved you. His love for you would never end. His love for you would never change. And he would walk in total and complete forgiveness towards you in everything he ever did. I want you to hold that in your heart. As I pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for every one of these here precious children. Every one of them that desires in their heart to walk in full maturity and to allow the Spirit of God to manifest Himself through their lives so that their lives impact this world just the same way as Jesus' life impacted this world. Father, I thank you for every person that even now your words are taking root that it produces a harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.